Those who cannot learn from history are doomed to repeat it. But before you can truly learn from the tales of our past, you must first understand them. And you're in luck because you found the one and only show that dives deep into the historical figures of our past and how key events have shaped the world that we live in today. You're tuned to History Shouldn't Be a Mystery. Right here on WRFH, Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM. With your host of today's show, Connor Bolanos. Welcome back, everyone, to another week of History Shouldn't Be a Mystery. I do apologize for the interruptions in episodes and the uh, the break that we've had before airing this one. We had to figure out how to get re-recording the show, given that Hillsdale College is closed down uh, in light of the coronavirus. But thankfully, in spite of all of that, I have set up recording software at home, and I'm thankfully able to deliver you new episodes of the show from here. So let's get started. on Today, at the time of recording, it's March 23rd, which is an important anniversary in Russian history. It's the anniversary of the assassination of Tsar Paul I of Russia, a Tsar who was really reformist and really set the course of the foreign policy for Russia in regards to the Napoleonic Wars, but also the... Um, also domestic policy, really, as he was seen as more of a reformist czar compared to his mother, the previous empress, um, Catherine the Great, who took a lot more of an absolutist kind of role and sought, sought the strength of the, nobil- the nobility of Russia, while Paul really sought to do the opposite of that. So Paul was the child of Catherine the Great and Emperor Peter III of Russia. Now, Catherine the Great didn't really like Paul too much, and from birth, Paul was given to the Empress Elizabeth, who would take care of him until her death in 1762 when Paul was eight. It was also during this time when Paul's mother, Catherine the Great, engineered a coup and overthrew Emperor Peter III, installing herself the Tsarina of Russia and its absolutist leader. But despite all of that and Catherine possibly not liking Paul, Paul retained his position as the crown prince. And it's from here that Catherine the Great would go on to do her various other reforms, which is an entirely separate topic on its own. But she is Catherine the Great for a reason in Russia. In 1772, Paul would reach the age of 18, and Paul and his, and his advisor, Penin, believed that he was the rightful rightful czar of Russia, not Catherine the Great, as he was the only son of Peter III. His advisor, Penin, also taught him that the rule of women endangered good leadership, especially within Russia, which resulted in Paul wanting to take the throne from his own mother. Catherine, though, saw this and began to learn of this and sought to distract him, mainly with finding him a wife. And she found one among the minor princesses of the Holy Roman Empire, originally choosing Princess Wilhelmina of Hesse-Darmstadt, who acquired the Russian name Natalia Alexandrovna, a daughter of Ludwig IX, the Landgrave of Hesse-Darmstadt. The bride's older sister was already married to a crown prince of Prussia as well around this time, which helped strengthen the Prussian and Russian relations. Um, Catherine also allowed Paul to attend the council in order in order to allow him to be trained for his work as emperor. Since at this time, Catherine was sort of aware he was trying to plot against her, but not really not so much. However, his wife Wilhelmina would also die on the 15th of April, 1776, three years after their wedding, and it soon became even clearer to Catherine around this time that Paul wanted power, including his own separate court. There was talk about having Paul and his mother co-rule Russia amongst the nobility, but Catherine managed to avoid that topic and that situation in its entirety. So a fierce rivalry as a result of this really began between the two of them, as Catherine knew that she could never trust Paul unless she wanted to perhaps suffer the same fate 
that her husband Peter the Third did. After uh, the death of the first wife of Paul, uh, Paul was once again married on the 7th of October, 1776, to Sophia Dorothea of Württemberg, who received the new name Maria Feradonova, and their first child, Alexander, was born in 1777, within a year of the marriage, and on this occasion, the Empress Catherine the Great would give Paul an esta the estate, the Palace of Pavlovsk. Uh, Paul and his wife gained leave as well during this time to travel throughout Western Europe, which they did so in 1781 to 1782. And in 1783, the Empress granted him yet another estate at Gatchina, where he was allowed to maintain a brigade of soldiers who he drilled on the Prussian model, which was an unpopular stance at the time for most armies uh, in Europe, especially within traditionalist Russia. Now, the idea of the Empress giving him this state seems to go against the idea that she knew she was plotting against him or disliked him, but ultimately I think that this was really done in order to maintain an image that relations were actually good between the two of them and it was actually custom within Russia at the time to do so. Now, let's get into a bit more detail, I guess, as to what exactly his relationship with Catherine the Great is. We know they hated each other, mainly because Paul had this idea that she was a bad ruler because she was a female and sought to share power with her or take power to her in some capacity. But, you know, this is the result of a long-standing sense of isolation between the two. Uh, Empress Elizabeth took care of Paul for much of his uh, childhood, and she was an incapable caretaker, and he had various other caretakers as well to make up for the fact that she was incapable. But after it was a death, Catherine would take custody of her, of him, but she would never really interact with him, leaving him in the custody of all those various caretakers. And Paul was often jealous as well of the favor she would shower upon her lovers, but not him. In one particular instance, uh, Catherine gave to one of her favorite favorite uh, lovers, five fifty thousand rubles on her birthday, while Paul received nothing but a cheap watch. Um, and this isolation and this lack of attention and love really from Catherine created a distance between them that would foster his hatred and dislike towards her. Um, and Catherine's absolute power and the delicate balance of the courtier status also greatly influenced the relationship at court with Paul in his later year. And he openly disregarded his mother's opinions at the time. Paul adamantly protested her policies, writing as well a veiled criticism in his own pamphlet Reflections, which was a dissertation on military reform. And he disparaged in an expansionist warfare the policy that Catherine was really pursuing at the time in favor of a more defensive military policy. However, this was unenthusiastically received by Catherine for obvious reasons, and Reflections was really a threat to her authority, and it added weight to her suspicion of an internal conspiracy with Paul at its center, which there may likely have been. And for a courtier to have openly supported or shown intimacy during Paul under the reign of Catherine the Great, especially following this publication, would have meant political suicide for that individual. So this also as well led to there not being a public movement to support Paul, and it led it to really being a conspiracy. So Paul, in light of this and the growing suspicion towards him, spent the following years away from the imperial court as his estate in Gachina with his growing family, where he would perform Prussian drill exercises. But as Catherine became older, she also grew less concerned that her son um, attend court functions. And her attention is primarily focused on Emperor Alexander I, the future emperor of Russia, the son of Paul I, his oldest son. And it was him who she actually took into her own custody and attempted to mold into her own image as a substitute for um, Paul as emperor. And it was not until 1787, actually, that Catherine may have, in fact, decided to exclude her son from succession directly. She suspected plots and whatnot, but it wasn't until this time that she considered the idea of really removing him. And after Al Alexander, the future emperor, 
and his brother Constantine were born. She had them both placed under her charge, where she sought to mold them. And it was in here that Catherine grew to favor Alexander as the sovereign of Russia, rather than Paul. And it was also during this time that she met with Alexander's tutor, de la Harpa, to discuss his pupil's ascension and attempted to convince Alexander's mother, Maria, the wife of Paul I, to sign a proposal authorizing her son's legitimacy and really bolster his claim to the throne over that of Paul. Both efforts ultimately proved fruitless, and though Alexander agreed to his grandmother's wishes, that being to, you know, replace Paul and whatnot, he remained respectful of his father's position as the immediate successor to the Russian throne. However, this was also in conjunction with attempts to undermine Paul by claiming that he was an illegitimate son, as uh, it's rumored that he was actually the child of an affair that Catherine had with a rebel who looked similar to Peter III. At least that's what they say, and that's what the claim was. For anyone just tuning in, you're listening to History Shouldn't Be a Mystery with your host, Connor Bolanos, the show where we dive deep into the historical figures of our past to better understand our present. For all of you just tuning back, welcome back to History Shouldn't Be a Mystery. We just got done talking about Paul I's early life, and now we're going to move into his ascension and his reign. So Catherine the Great would suffer a stroke on the 17th of November, 1796, and would die without regaining consciousness. And Paul's first act upon her death as emperor was to inquire about and, if possible, destroy her testament, as he feared it would actually exclude him from succession and leave the throne to Alexander. And these fears may have contributed to Paul's uh, promulgation of the misogynist Pauline Laws, which first established the strict principle of promogeniture in the House of Romanov, leaving the throne to the next male heir. Now, at this time as well, the army was poised to attack Persia in accordance with Catherine's plans to invade and conquer it. However, they were recalled, in, recalled to the capital within a month of its ascension, given that he saw the need for a more defensive policy in Russia. And he also, during this time in his early reign, reburied his father and forced the um, one of the counts who was involved in Peter's murder carry the imperial crown behind the coffin on its way to its resting place. Now, Emperor Paul, character-wise, was idealistic and capable of great generosity, is said, but he was also mercurial and capable of vindictiveness, is what is reported, and in, spouts, in spite of the doubts of his legitimacy, many said he greatly resembled his father, which did undermine some of those claims. And during the first year, Paul reversed many of Catherine's policies. He accused many of Jacobism, but he, at the same time, he also let many of the well-known critics of Catherine, who were also accused of being, uh, being Jacobites, also were allowed free. And it was these people that he also gave additional serfs. He made them nobles. And this is because he viewed the Russian nobility as decadent and corrupt, and he was determined to transform them into a more principled, uh, disciplined, and a royal caste that resembled a more medieval chivalric order. And to those who he conformed, he rewarded, but those who did not share his views were dismissed or lost their place at court. And this really amounted to roughly seven field marshals and 333 generals who during this, this time lost place at court, which would be important given that Russia would soon find itself in the Napoleonic Wars. Paul made several attempts as well to reform the army that were incredibly unpopular. Under Catherine's reign, um, the General Grigory Potemkin introduced new uniforms that were cheap, comfortable, practical, and designed in a distinctly Russian style. Paul decided to fulfill his father's intention of introducing more Prussian-like uniforms. They were impractical for active duty, and they were deeply unpopular with the men, as was the effort required to maintain them. 
that effort being that it was incredibly hard to do and very time-consuming. His love of parades and ceremonies as well was not well-liked either. He constantly ordered watch parades that would take place early every morning in the parade grounds of the palace, regardless of weather conditions, and he would personally sentence soldiers to be flogged if they made a mistake. On one occasion, ordering a guard regiment to march literally into Siberia after they became disordered, during maneuvers. And although he changed his mind after they walked about 10 miles, it really showed that he was an incredibly strict lure and not a very tolerant one and seemed a bit insane to a lot of people in the military. He also attempted to reform the organization of the army in 1769 by introducing his uh, military guide, the Infantry Codes, which was a series of guidelines for the army based largely upon show and glamour. But his greatest commander, Surovov, completely ignored them, believing them to be absolutely worthless. He also was a big indulger, and he built three palaces in the Russian capital during that time. He also had a vendetta against uh, some of his mother's lovers, and he even dug out their own graves and had their bones scattered. Just again, another show of his distaste towards his mom, her, his mother's policies, and everything kind of related to her. Now, it's in foreign policy that Paul really saw some of the greatest... Um, changes and what reverses from Catherine and also it's where he was also some of the most influential during the Napoleonic Wars. So Paul's early foreign policy can largely be seen as a reaction against his mother's. In foreign policy he opposed the expansionary war she fought instead preferred to pursue a more peaceful and diplomatic path. Upon taking the throne he recalled the troops outside Russian borders which they which were currently on their way to conquer Persia. She also had men promise to aid Britain and Austria against the French, which he also recalled. But Paul hated the French before the revolution and continued to do so afterwards, especially because of their new republican and anti-religious views, which caused him to detest them even more. In addition to this, Paul knew that French expansion would hurt Russian interests, but he recalled his mother's troops primarily because he opposed wars of expansion, which he saw this war as. And he also believed that Russia needed substantial governmental and military reforms to avoid an economic collapse and revolution before Russia could wage a war on foreign soil. Instead, Paul took a more diplomatic route in approaching the conflict. He offered to mediate between Austria and France through Prussia and pushed Austria to make peace. But the two countries made peace without his assistance with the Treaty of Campa Formio on October of 1979. And in this treaty was the French affirmation over islands in the Mediterranean, the partitioning of the Republic of Venice, which upset Paul, who saw it as creating more instability in the region and really displayed France's ambitions. In response, he offered asylum to the Prince de Condé and his army, as well as Louis XVIII, both of whom were forced out of Austria by the treaty. By this point, the French Republic had seized Italy, the Netherlands, Switzerland, and established republics and constitutions in each, and Paul felt that the Russians now needed to play an active role in Europe in order to overthrow what the Republic had created and restore traditional authorities. So this was really a return more to his mother's policies, despite his goal and desires to be, have more peaceful ones. But in this goal, he did find willing allies in the Austrian Chancellor Baron Thugut, who hated the French and loudly criticized their revolutionary principles and was one of the leading voices in Austria for joining future wars of the coalition. Britain and the Ottoman Empire would join Austria and Russia to stop the French expansion and free territories under their control and re to reestablish old monarchies. The only major power in Europe who did not join Paul in his anti-French campaign was Prussia, whose distrust of Austria and the security they got from their relationship with France prevented them from joining the coalition until later on. 
And despite the Prussians' reluctance, Paul decided anyway to move ahead with the war, promising 60,000 men to support Austria in Italy and 45,000 men to help England in North Germany and the Netherlands. Another important factor in Paul's decision to go to war had to do with Malta and the Knights Hospitaller. Now, the order had priorities in the Catholic countries of Europe that held large estates and paid revenue from them to the order. In 1796, the order approached Paul about the priory of Poland, which had been in the state been in the state of neglect and paid no revenue for about a hundred years and was now on Russian land. Paul as a child, you know, as we mentioned earlier, read the chivalric tales and was really into knights. And he was impressed by the order because they really reflected that. And he impressed by this honor and the connection to the old order it represented, he relocated these priories of Poland to St. Petersburg and started paying tributes again. And the knights responded by making him protector of the order in August of that same year. Now, Napoleon in 1798 of June would seize Malta as the Grand Master supposedly uh, betrayed the order by selling Malta to Napoleon, as it was seen by many in the order. And the order would then elect Paul Grand Master. Because Paul was elected Grand Master of the order, he felt a chivalric duty and kind of a religious duty to defend the order and to reclaim Malta from the French forces, a point of contention which would eventually lead to the deterioration of the Russian-British alliance. Now, this relationship between Britain and Russia was really a beneficial one for for Paul and Britain, as both nations didn't really have any territorial ambitions in France, but this alliance wouldn't really last for very long. Um, During the end of the coalition wars in 1800, the British seized the Danish frigate, prompting Paul to close British trading factories in St. Petersburg, as well as impound British ships and cargo. And Admiral Nelson, when he captured St. Malta from the French in September of 1800, refused to return it to the Order of St. John, and therefore... Paul's possession. Furthermore, in 1800, uh, earlier in 1800 as well, uh, the British had a ambassador in St. Petersburg who they recalled and did not replace, with no clear reason given as to why, but many think that it's because Britain had to choose between two allies, Russia or Austria, ended up choosing Austria, who seemed more committed to fighting Napoleon than the Russians did. And it was because of this deterioration in relations with both Russia and the Austrians, that Paul sought a reapproachment with France after the coalition fell apart. And several scholars have argued that this change in position, radical though it seemed, made sense. Because Bonaparte became the first consul and made French a more conservative state that was consistent with Paul's view of the world. So they didn't really see this reapproachment as going against the earlier issues that Paul had with the French Republic. And it was during later in his reign as well, while this war was also going on, in 1804 to 1813 that well actually after the napoleonic wars that paul would also invade georgia in order to gain more territory there but paul eventually would suffer the same fate that his own father did that of assassination his attempts to force the nobility to adopt a code of chivalry alienated many trusted advisors and his Repeal of Catherine's law allowing corporal punishment of the free classes directed reforms that resulted in greater rights for the peasantry, which was really disliked by the nobles. And as such, a conspiracy was organized some months before it was executed by Counts Peter Ludwig van Palin, Nikita Petrovich Panin, and one of his advisor, and Admiral de Ribas, with the alleged support of Great Britain's representative in St. Petersburg at the time, Charles Whitworth, until he was left. 
And the assassin, the assassins charge into his bedroom, flushed with drink after dining together, and found Paul hidden behind his drapes in the corner. The conspirators pulled him out, forced him to the table, and tried to compel him into signing an abdication. But upon offering resistance, Nikolai Zubov struck him with a sword, after which the assassins strangled and trampled him to death. And Paul's successor on the Russian throne, his son, the 23-year-old Alexander, was actually also in the place at the time of the killing. And upon... The, announcing the ascension of the heir to the throne. It was accompanied by the admonition, time to grow up, go and rule. Alexander I did not punish these assassins, and the court physician would declare apoplexy the official cause of death for Paul. The reign of Paul is really one where you saw, I guess, the first uh, inklings of Russian-French relations, which would eventually lead to the Russian-Franco-Russian Franco Entente in World War I, although that would suffer some strain during the 1860s in the Crimean War, and it was really a unique foreign policy at the time. And it was also Paul who really sought to reform Russia in ways that people really hadn't tried to do up until now. But ultimately, Paul would end up paying the price for those attempted reforms and his beliefs with his own life. Thank you for joining us for another week of History Shouldn't Be a Mystery. Next week, we're going to do another episode on a historic figure from our past. We're also going to try something new, though. We've set up an email where we want you to send us questions, comments, uh, people you want to see in future episodes at hsbam1844 at gmail.com. Email us your questions, and we're going to turn them into a five-minute show on the air where we just go through these questions and answer some of the things you may be wondering that we didn't necessarily get to in the show. So once again, that's HSBAM1844 at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to another week of History Shouldn't Be a Mystery, and see you next time. And that's all the time we have left today for you history buffs. There's many more historical figures from our past to discuss, so be sure to join us same time, same place, next week for a new edition of History Shouldn't Be a Mystery with your host, Connor Bolanos.